You are Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On today's episode of the Locked On Rays podcast, we continue our conversation with Jeff Ellis, the host of the Locked On Indians podcast and the resident MLB draft expert for the Locked On Podcast Network. Without further ado, here's Jeff helping to wrap up the 2021 MLB draft. You know, Jeff, uh, a lot of times, I mean, we won't really know how this draft pans out for the next five, six years, maybe. And it takes a lot of guys several years before they make their MLB debut, if they get that opportunity. But every once in a while, you have these fast risers, fast movers through the system, or you have an example like Garrett Crochet, who didn't really pitch minor league ball whatsoever and got the call up, you know, after getting drafted, um, you know, in the 2020 draft, he made his debut that same year. Um, in this past draft, 2021, is there anybody or, or a couple of guys that you see as really quick risers to the big leagues that, you know, within a year or two years, it's like, yeah, we could see their name in a big league uniform. I, I've stood from the beginning. I think Sam Bachman to pitch in the big leagues this week. Uh, if you move him to a relief role, now the fastball doesn't have the greatest spin numbers, but it's still like 100 touching 101. And the slider does have good spin data. It's He is legitimately two potential 70 grade pitches. I make the, because I just, I almost hate saying two 70 grade pitches now, but they're, they look like they're, have the potential to approach that. And he was a player in the hours before the draft. My connections to the Angels organization in particular told me, oh, no, he's sliding because there's a hip issue. He is sliding because there's a hip issue. <laughs> and then the Angels pop him. And I'm like, you SOBs, you were, I don't know if you were trying to get extra pool money, if you were just, now I had Bachman 10th on my board. I did have other players higher who were available because of the weirdness of the draft. But I totally understood that pick and I was fine with it because on a base level, if he can stay healthy, it's the safest profile because there's no way he's not a reliever with what he's shown. Good athleticism in those two pitches. There's no way that he is not at least a really good back-end reliever. So if the Angels sign him, I mean, he, if they get into the wildcard hunt, I think he could help that team this year. Uh, he was one of those players that really stood out for me in that regard because you're looking for someone, when you're looking at who can help sooner rather than later, uh, pitching wise, you're just kind of looking for those two potential plus pitches. And he's got two pitches right now. I'd feel comfortable putting 60 grades on now. Uh, so it's just a matter you know, he's, there's injury issue, injury concerns, and he is undersized and he did pitch it in the Mac. Now the Mac had three really good pitchers this year. Uh, they had two pitchers go in the top 45 picks, top 50 picks. So it was a strong conference relatively for pitching, maybe not as much for hitters, but uh, really interesting arm. He's the guy you bet on getting to the big leagues faster than anyone. Uh, he was kind of my standout for that. Like to me, you know, he would be off relative to uh, like, I wouldn't, if I was a, a betting site, I wouldn't even accept bets on Sam Bachman being the first of the big leagues. Okay. Very good. Look, I, I, I give you kudos there, Jeff, because I, I like Bachman just for the sole fact that, 
Uh, he is originally from Indiana, an Indiana native who went to high school in Indiana. And me being a fellow Hoosier myself, uh, I, I'll, I, I'm on board with you uh, there with that. By the way, did you what, did, what was your take on uh, the Angels going all pitchers in the draft? All, all 20 picks, all pitchers. I, you know, it was just, it was humorous to watch it happen. Uh, in general, it was also funny because like, if that didn't happen with the angels, people would be commenting on the fact that like the, the Indians had 21 picks and they took 19 pitchers. Uh, and the giants, I think had 20 picks as well. And took like 18 pitchers. There are a few teams that just kind of did that, but the fact that the angels just stayed to, true to the course and did 20 for 20 on pitchers was really interesting. Uh, their early picks were kind of chalky. I mean, outside, I mean, Bachman was, uh, I think most people thought Rocker would go there at that point in time. But it's like Kyle Bush, Bush. Yeah, not Kyle. Oh, and I was making fun of people for saying Kyle instead of Kai. Kai Bush is an interesting kid from uh, that St. Mary's program that's been strong for development. Landon Marseille is, uh, you know, pitchability type. Luke Murphy is, uh, you know, Vandy's been a little hit or miss in their development. He's got a big arm. And st- stood out in regards of that. And uh, the kid they got from Tulane in the ninth round, I'm curious to see if I assume he's going to be some overslot money. And Mason Albright is a guy who in the 12, like I thought he was going to be a potential top three round pick at one point in time. Uh, not the biggest, but just a good control lefty with uh, solid present stuff. I, I mean, uh, Angels hands for years have been changing and they just, they leaned in hard to that in this class for sure. And Mason Erla was one of my uh, favorite day three picks. I remember I'd forgotten about him in there at the end. Uh, so they, they took some interesting pitching as well. It wasn't just that they took a ton of arms. They took even some of the guys who like, I pulled up their draft list. You know, Mason Erla doesn't have anything written by MLB. I Nick Mondak doesn't either, but those are still guys who have a chance, probably more as relief arms, but they had shown me some stuff that made me at least be like, you know, I, there's so many names. Uh, Eric Torres from Kansas state. Like that's a name I don't really know uh, because Kansas state gets a lot of guys drafted, but doesn't get a lot of guys to the big leagues. So I tend to, you know, there's, I I look for those patterns when I'm like, I have a limited amount of time, but if you're someone who managed to stick at a Michigan state uh, into my mind, that kind of says something to me because I don't really typically look at a St. John's or Michigan state, but at some point I saw them enough to be like, Oh, those names I need to sock away in the back of my brain. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Fully Loaded Shoe. Fully Loaded Shoe is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that give you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without all that tobacco. It's available in nine flavors. Fully Loaded Shoe is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine available. Fully Loaded Shoe is offering Locked On Team listeners a special offer right now. You can try a can for just $1. That's right, just $1. Go to FullyLoadedShoe.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, just $1, and free shipping if you use the code LOCKEDON at checkout. The next time you go for a dip, be sure to make it Fully Loaded Shoe, FullyLoadedShoe.com. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? It doesn't make any sense at all. For example, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump is $353 from a chain store, 
But from Rock Auto, it's just $216. Look at those savings. Uh, Rock Auto is a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and their prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you could possibly need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And remember to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you to the right place. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Jeff, uh, just kind of want to tee one up to you for a second. Uh, your your team, the team you cover on a day-in, day-out basis, the Cleveland Indians, uh, it's kind of funny because they selected a couple guys who have deep ties to the Tampa Bay area, one being Tommy Mace, who, of course, pitched at the University of Florida the last several years but was a star at Sun Lake High School in Land Lakes. Uh, the Indians took May 69th overall in comp B. And then right after that, I believe they took shortstop Jake Fox, who is a plant city native and uh, attended uh, Lakeland Christian school. So just wanted to get your take on those two uh, Tampa Bay area kids, Tommy Mace and Jake Fox. You know, Mace is one of those guys who I remember being told that he was going to sign with the Reds when they drafted him. I want to say in the 12th round out of high school, Yeah, they had extra money and that they were intent to sign him. And that was going to happen. And, you know, it's not the first time I've, you know, I can go back to a few years ago. There was a picture of Daniel Sprinkle, who was also a football recruit to Auburn, who like, I mean, he tweeted out that he had signed and then it didn't happen. And I, so, you know, money can get weird. Things can go away. Uh, things get shifted. So uh, for whatever reason, Mace went to school, but he didn't develop a Florida. Like it was not, you know, he could have been drafted last year and he wasn't. And he kind of bet on himself to go back to school this year. And I think if you had told him that he was going to be, you know, the 69th pick in the draft, he wouldn't maybe last year would have taken the money that was offered. You know, the bet on himself for himself might not have paid off. I'll be curious to see if he is overslot there. Uh, now, that's not to say I'm down on him. I had him 52nd on my board. He was, you know, the last player who kind of clawed their way in there. And the stuff is good and the performance is there. And when he went to driveline and he went to another place, he went to two specific programs to kind of get outside help to improve his game, which, uh, you know, I got into it with some Indians fans like, oh, the Indians love the Florida program. I'm like, I think it's the opposite. I think the Indians see the Florida program as not doing things necessarily perfect and that the Indians are buying low on some guys who, I mean, Leftwich and Mace were supposed to be first rounders when they went there. Uh, years ago, and it just hasn't come. Uh, this is a team that for years did that with major league squads. They knew teams that couldn't develop as well or didn't have the uh, the best, uh, that, you know, that there were easy ways. You know, for instance, I always bag on the Reds. No, it's the Angels. I, I bag on them both. But, like, I remember talking to Mike Clevenger when he was in AA, uh, back before anyone knew who he was. And he was like, when the Angels drafted me, they gave me a binder. The Indians came in with video and explained to me like my mechanics and the pitches and what I needed to do. And he goes, it's just night and day. And, you know, the Indians knew that, you know, they knew the team that it wasn't always the, the best in Florida for as big of a name as it is. It's like, who is the last successful pitcher you go through? You know, AJ Puck hasn't been able to stay healthy. That's not necessarily on them, but you know, in that class was Logan Shore, you know, Alex Fiedo, 
there's been a lot of guys who just have, have not been successful and that stands out to organizations. You know, it's a few years ago uh, when I started talking about the Virginia stuff, other people started talking about it as well. And teams start to notice where maybe things aren't hundred percent great. And I'm sure there's going to be a Florida fan who listens to your podcast who gets mad at me. I don't think anyone who listens to the podcast who's a Florida fan wouldn't disagree with the fact that Tommy Mace and Jack Leftwich ended up having disappointing draft projections and careers uh, relative to what the expectation was for them. Uh, I still like Leftwich is more of a relief arm. Uh, even though his name is Leftwich, he's a righty, <laughs> uh, just to throw everyone off. Uh, and Mace, I still think, is uh, has mid-rotation potential. Uh, I know they also took uh, Franco Alman, who was his first year there, who's like a big sinker ball type. Uh, he was just another interesting arm. And it's honestly, I was talking to someone at 3 a.m. Day before the draft, and like who are the Indians going to take? I'm like bet on pitchers with strikeout rates over ten and walk rates per nine under three, and that was this almost their entire draft class. And that was also that was Mace, that was Left, which uh, Alman I think was the strikeout rate over eight. His wasn't quite there, but he did the other things right. Or Alman, uh, probably butchering it either way because he's uh, from Cuba originally, and uh, my pronunciation is terrible. Jake Fox is their very very much an Indians pick. Uh, Quick, quick bat and hit over power, uh, kind of that s- some twitchiness shortstop that probably won't stick there. Uh, but you're betting on like a quick bat, maybe getting because as bad as, and that's the thing we, another Cardinal sin. Cause I, you know, I, I started doing drafts back in 2012 and I was at that time all about the fact that like we over, we spent too much effort on height. So this past year with like Jack Leiter and Cleo Watson being talked about as top five picks, I felt like doing a victory lap all year because back in 2012 and 2013, neither of those players would have gotten that opportunity. They just wouldn't have. I mean, uh, Brandon Finnegan, yeah, TCU was also an issue. They abused arms, but I mean, he was a six foot one lefty, otherly dominated college uh, baseball. Now it hasn't been a great career for him, but he was you know discounted because of his height. Even 2000, no, that was 2000. 12's draft no 2013's draft class was Finnegan so I guess I've been doing this more since like 2010 and 11 but we're seeing that difference in height and the big thing to you know I got off track there but with height people look at someone like Fox and they go he's six feet he's below average power and for a long time that was the thought like okay six feet tall 40 grade power just because he's small he, he can only and we've learned more and more that it's like bat speed is probably more important than height as is launch plane and Fox has the speed to be average, maybe more. He's definitely a, a developmental guy for them. And clearly this is a team that was very focused on pitching. They're very focused on very specific pitching on guys who had big track records. The Indians didn't send out a single college scout on the road until the college world series. They did almost all of their scouting from home. They were, they did a very different approach this year and Fox pop for them. And I've always said too, that like, you have to look for players who are against the rule because that's how you know that a talented player stands out. Like if a, a team that always drafts young players drafts someone who's old for their class, then that's something you need to look for. In this case, the, case, the Indians were very focused on college pitching, but Jake Fox was too good for them to pass on. So even though he was ranked 198, I'm seeing by MLB, and they took him in 95, I'm betting the Indians probably had a top 60 grade on Fox. 
Interesting. Okay. I see that, that makes sense there. And a little fun fact here for the listeners out there. Uh, Lakeland Christians coach is Matt Diaz, uh, journeyman, big leaguer. He played 11 years in the devil race and the Braves. Yes, that is correct. Matt Diaz is the head coach of, uh, Lakeland. I had him Christians. in some OOTP leagues back in the day. Uh, uh, he was, he was a plus hit plus doubles in that, that video game. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track it all at bet online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC MMA action. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit by using the promo code LOCKED ON. That's L O C K E D O N, promo code LOCKED ON. And that'll get you 50% off or a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, okay, Jeff, some big picture questions, and then we'll let you go here. Um, just over the, I mean, you've been covering the draft for a long time now. Um, and, you know, over the last several years, or maybe over the last decade, are there, is there a team or two or a couple of teams that have really been known or identified as great drafters? Like, no matter what they're going to, yeah, they did really good. They, they do really good year in and year out with the draft. At some point, I need to update. I did an article golly, probably back in like 2010, uh, I did an Indians baseball insider, which, uh, then, I mean, that was before scout. We, before I, I wrote for that site that we joined scout and then scout hired me as their draft analyst in must've been for the 2013 draft and you know, 2014 draft is when I started at scout. And, uh, I wrote a whole piece there uh, and excuse me for one minute, I'm going to have a cough. <laughs> Uh, and I remember I went through 20 years of draft data and I just looked at drafted players. I even gave credit if you didn't sign a guy, just looking at pure numbers for ease. And the top two teams by far may not be a surprise when you look at like the mid and the odd 2000s were the athletics and the Cardinals. The bottom three that very much separated themselves, uh, the worst team was the Reds, then the Indians, and then the New York Yankees. Uh, the Indians for all of their successes are still a team that's been mostly built through trades uh, for a long time. I mean, that entire pitching rotation, uh, the, the great Indians rotation uh, of the, you know, five, six years ago was almost everyone in that rotation they had gotten via a trade. Uh, they're getting a little bit better. And, you know, we have seen that 2012 class, which gave them uh, Plesak, Savali and Bieber, but they're also a team that, I mean, between CC Sabathia and Francisco Lindor, they didn't have one successful first round pick. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the cap that that organization had. They're doing better now uh, in general, recent years, the Yankees don't draft particularly well. That's still something they don't do well. They tend to, there's a reason. I mean, they trade a lot away, but that organization has a very weak minors for a reason. Uh, they tend to get overhyped. Like I liked Clark Schmidt a lot, but when he was getting top 100 run, I was kind of surprised. Uh, you know, he was he was great at Clemson. I, I was really high on him, but I, I didn't think he was quite. Uh, he was worthy of his draft position. I wasn't sure if he was always worthy of the prospect 
uh, discussions that existed there with him. Uh, of course, you got to talk about the job the Rays have done. I, I really like what Arizona, for the mess they've been over the last four to five years, uh, what they've built up there. But yeah, I really, the the Dodgers can be a little hit or miss. Though they, the Dodgers are not as strong in round one, but seem to do everything after round one really well. Like their first round history since they had the uh, the change at the top hasn't been their best, but every round after that has been really good for them. So uh, discount round one for the Dodgers. Uh, the Rockies, it's been pretty rocky, pun intended. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, everything is kind of a disaster there. And even when they draft a player, like Taron Vavra is a player that I've had on my sleeper list since his University of Minnesota days. And they trade him away for um, Michael Givens, the closer. Mm-hmm. I always think of him as a shortstop because that's what I had him as graded as the draft prospect. But he's a closer. Uh, and, and he was an afterthought. He's like the secondary piece in that deal. And I'm like, oh, so even when you draft an interesting player, they don't keep him. So, yeah, the, I, the draft for most teams has to be a lifeblood. Uh, Toronto might be the best. And I only partially say that because almost routinely every single year, they draft the most players from my big board of any team in all of baseball. So I think I have to give it to the Blue Jays just because they tend to agree with me the most over the course of a draft. How about that? You know, it's funny about the Blue Jays because for one reason or another, they have uh, they, they really draft a lot of kids from the Tampa Bay area over the past couple oh, okay. of years. Yeah. yeah, like C.J. Van Eyck. For example, Nate Pearson, uh, Gunnar Hoagland, who's from Pasco County before he went to Old Miss. And then, you know, even in the later mid rounds, they draft a lot of kids from uh, Hillsborough and, and Pasco counties there. So uh, good, good nod there with that, Jeff. Um, and Jeff, you've been covering this thing for a lot of years, uh, the draft. Um, do you have any ideas or thoughts on how this process can be improved going forward? I've heard suggestions about in the next CBA, maybe they'll allow trading draft picks. Maybe there'll be a a lottery system. Maybe there'll be some way to resolve the the slot game. Just do you have any general thoughts on how to really shore this thing up to, to make it uh, a great process? So it's, it's very tricky because like in regards to trading draft picks, like I've always said, yeah, go ahead, but they've had the ability to trade draft picks for years now with those competitive balance picks. And we've Mm -hmm. seen, under 10 trades like teams and when they happen it does feel like they're very much a low value asset you know it's like uh what's the baltimore orioles paying the dodgers to essentially take ryan webb's contract off their hands stands out to me or when the marlins essentially sold their pick for monetary savings i mean the indians give away their competitive balance pick two years ago for monetary savings uh in you know speaking of the rays in the very ill-fated uh, Yandy Diaz uh, trade, which the, the main part of that, Carlos Santana for Edwin Encarnacion was great, but Bowers for Diaz was, uh, was I, I liked Bowers at the time. I'm not going to go back and change history, but I also loved Diaz. And uh, some of the money that they saved was why they sent a pick to Seattle. So we've often seen those picks almost more used monetarily than we have in trades. So I don't know if you make them a tradable asset, how that affects things. I don't know if it makes teams more likely or less likely. Well, I mean, they'd be more likely because they could trade them. Uh, I don't like a hard slot just because that's another way to limit players' potential payment. The fact that it's a weak slot right now 
uh, or a soft slot, I guess is probably not the better way to phrase it. Like a player can get, you know, a greater amount of money than where they're taken. And, you know, a great player can, can get more money than they might. Uh, and the, the slotting system has its strengths and weaknesses. It's for me, it makes it a little more interesting. I won't lie. Uh, it's, it's also essentially the way it works with the pool system is it's like trading down in the draft. It's how I've always compared it to anyone who's a fan of like the NFL draft. And you take a guy like Henry Davis and you pay him two, two million under slot, you're trading down. So you're taking a guy who, yeah, I had him one. A lot of people had him three or four. And then you're able to, with those other picks, essentially trade up and spend that money on them and get a higher ranked player. So there is a degree of that. I, I feel like some of the big things they need to do with the draft in general is, you know, just do more to make it a thing. This past year was a big improvement. I don't know, you know, the max 30 rounds. Uh, when I started, there were 50. Let me tell you, I'm glad they're not 50 rounds anymore. The cover of it this year, even when I was 20, it felt like I was cheating. Uh, it was too easy last year at six. I didn't know what to do with myself, but yeah, I, it's going to always be hard because it's the thing that, I mean, typically even the best player is going to spend a year or two in the minors. So it's like, Hey, we drafted someone. Now we're not going to see him. Uh, you know, I'd be more curious to see if they do an international talent draft. Uh, I don't know how much a lottery helps. Do we feel like, I don't know if teams necessarily tank to get a higher draft pick. It might actually more tank for the higher pool of money than the pick itself. But, uh, you know, teams often, it's just uh, the fire sale approach is successful. I can't blame a team for trading everything that's not nailed down and trying to uh, uh, just build up your miners as much as possible to hopefully get the next wave of competition. But the draft in and of itself, I think back to 2000, was it 2000? Oh, gosh, goodness. No, it couldn't have been 11. No, 2007, when it was first broadcast on television. Before that, if you were a sicko like me, you had to log on to the internet and stream the conference call. And yes, I did do that. (laughs) And then 2007, uh, I believe, was the year that was first broadcast on ESPN with Mayo and Peter Gammons. And I was very disappointed when the Indians passed on Jason Hayward because I've been reading Jim Callis talk about him for weeks at the time he was uh, the ESPN guy. And, you know, every year gets more people interested. I, when I got my, the job at scout, I was replacing Kylie McDaniel. Uh, there was about six people who were considered names in the field. Now there's all alternative sites and things like that. There are people who have popped up who have bigger names than me since I started doing it, uh, it's, it's, it continues to grow on its own, which is probably the best thing for baseball in general, but, uh, hopefully they'll continue to, to do what they did and kind of showcase it. And I'd love to see them continue to try to find ways to make it more interesting trading picks. I think, I don't know how much it would happen, but I do hope that occurs. Cause I think that would add more degree of mystery now it would make mocking a lot more difficult. Uh, can we just say no trades on draft day? Uh, I don't think they'll ever do it though, because they're so nervous about the type of manipulation we saw in the nineties where when we had no pool system, the Yankees would just call like Andrew Brackman, for instance, the NC state pitcher, who I want to say was also a basketball player and offer him like, you know, five, 6 million. 
And then if no one else signed him, you know, he gets down the board and the Yankees would just always blow past everyone in terms of their signing bonuses, uh, just being able to purchase the best talent. Didn't always happen. Garrett Cole did decide to go back to school rather than sign with uh, the Yankees when he was a, a high schooler. There's a lot of players the Yankees got they just shouldn't have because of general cost. So the the sliding system has accomplished its overall goal of reducing that. But yeah, it's uh, it continues to evolve. And like I I think especially if you could trade draft picks, I, it'd be so hard on draft night itself. But it'd be interesting to see. Interesting, yeah, and you're so right about. MLB finally making it into an event. I mean, it's broadcasted on multiple networks. Now you have Manfred coming up to the podium in a live format and in an auditorium and people are booing him like he's Roger Goodell. I mean, that's, that's more of what baseball needs. I think Um, Jeff last thing here, and you kind of touched on it briefly, the possibility or the feasibility of an international draft, perhaps maybe in the next CBA or down the line, is that something that you think is needed or should be instituted uh, Instituted, or is the current system as it is as far as international uh, prospects is, is fine as it is? I think I would love to see it instituted and I would love to see higher bonus pools uh, in general there. Now, the thing to understand is it's going to be like 16-year-old kids, so it's it's a huge risk. Like why do a team like the Indians take a bunch of college pitchers? Because they're going internationally very heavy with, um, with uh, bats because it's easier to evaluate a hitter at a younger age than all the data you get with a pitcher. So it's going to be even further away from seeing them. But if it leads to more money going to um, Latin American families, I am all for a draft the the thing is always going to be like now that they've cut down on the number of teams and the number of sites and you know how many players how many rounds of the draft be I, I think it'll happen i think that's the one thing that's going to happen is you know i felt like the mlb got really annoyed with the fact that like hey we punish the astros and then they immediately go out and sign you know we took away their draft picks but yet they go out and sign the uh like a top three player on the international market, I, you know, some of that leaves some egg on their face. So I think it'll change. It'll happen. I'm hoping we'll see just an overall bigger pool though, because uh, investing in Latin America for baseball in general is only going to help uh, the MLB going forward. Right. For sure. And man, Jeff, you've been just great knowledge and information on the MLB draft. Uh, definitely more than I could provide to the listeners here. And um, for listeners out there that want to find and follow your work, um, just kind of promote yourself a little bit, how, how they can go about finding you and, and what you do. So as I mentioned, I'm host of uh, Locked On Indians. Uh, before that, I was the lead draft and prospect writer at Scout. And then Scout got up by 24-7. Uh, then 24-7 cut the entire baseball program last year. So now uh, when I have the time to dra- write, that I put that over at uh, mlbdraftnow.blogspot.com. Uh, I always give the thing like I don't have editors anymore and I am ADD and dyslexic. So understand that sometimes uh, mistakes happen. But if you're looking, it's completely free. So if you're looking for some kind of, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> some draft content and you don't necessarily have the money to afford uh, a subscription somewhere, 
just another place you can go and read stuff. I always do a way too early mock. Uh, I, I work my, you know, I did a top 53 players in the draft. I do some mocks throughout the year. And then over at, uh, ML, at Jeff MLB draft, I also will do some like Twitter mocks and just some quick profiles. When I get to go out to games, I often will, if there's something worth noting, I'll sit there and, and write out a quick scouting report in the Twitter. But those are basically the two best places to uh, find any of my work. Okay, we once again want to thank Jeff Ellis for all the great information and expertise on the MLB draft. That wraps up this edition of the Locked on Rays podcast. Remember to tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of the Locked on Today, Locked on Bets, and Locked on MLB Prospects podcast. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.